invite everyone to turn in their Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible handy, there should be one at the end of the pew. And we're just beginning really a series through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's uh, in the New Testament. So after Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, after Acts and Romans is 1 Corinthians before you get to Hebrews and so forth. If you if you want to orient yourself to that particular book, we'll be looking at chapter two today, which is is a relatively short chapter. And we've uh, mentioned already that uh, this was a church in the Greek city of uh, Corinth. There's a map, I think, even in the sermon notes section at the back of your worship guide. And the Apostle Paul had gone there, we said, inspired uh, by the Lord to uh, reach and help build that church in the year 50 A.D. And then several years later, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing back this uh, this letter to them. Uh, I commend to you again the message from August 9th, so two weeks ago, that you can download online and so forth. If you want to get some of the background, some of the information about Corinth that I think will be helpful as we go along our way, that's one you might want to, to make sure to listen to as we go forward. But we, we, we could summarize it this way. They were a materially prosperous and a morally corrupt community. And we see that as Paul at different points in First Corinthians going to address uh, issues of heterosexual sin, issues of homosexual sin, issues of idolatry and idol worship. And that makes it perhaps even all the more interesting to us, knowing that those things are coming, knowing that those particularly may be obvious or uh, particular issues for the Corinthian community are there. It's all the more intriguing that he begins with the issue that he does. Which is division, lack of unity, lack of connection with one another in the body of Christ. Uh, Maybe doesn't seem as significant, but to Paul it is. And we began talking about it last week, the divisions that were in this particular church body. We said we're so thankful for many of the ways that God has protected us at this particular part of God's church, the the, the Cross Creek Church body, and and given us a strong uh, spirit of unity with, with one another. We pray that that continues, but it's something we should always constantly have in mind because this is a reality. That when we take our focus off of Christ, we saw, and we elevate other matters, the things that make us different, instead of the thing that unites us together, Christ and him crucified, we're headed quickly down a dangerous path. If uh, socioeconomic background, if music preference, if life stage that you happen to be in, if race, if opinion on debatable theological matters, if allegiance to a particular teacher or somebody we enjoy, uh, if a certain allegiance to a college football team, if any of those things causes us to be divided with one another outside of the central tenets and issues of the Christian faith, then that's, that's really leading us astray, right? We're united in Christ across all those barriers and all those boundaries. We saw last week in particular that Christ is complete, that he can't be like broken up into pieces, So we ought to be complete. We saw that Christ died for each one of us. If we've recognized him, we're united in the fact that we're all at the foot of the cross, right? We're all dependent upon him. And we saw that Christ is Lord. He reigns over each one of us as well. So all of those reasons and Paul mentions in chapter one as well, the humble status that we have of being those who have recognized the folly, the beauty of the folly of the gospel. 
to the world, it seems a crazy message on the surface that this person 2,000 years ago would die, would pay the price for our sins, would be the son of God. And yet we know these things to be true. The world recognizes them as folly and we ought to be humbled because together, collectively, in the world's eyes, we've all embraced folly. But in fact, we know it's wisdom. So we're connected in that way as well. Chapter one, we saw specifically how pride can well up if we're not kind of humbled by the gospel. Pride can well up in a sort of cult of personality, even in the church community. And we see this across church uh, boundaries today in our in our sort of church world, but also within particular churches. The Corinthians, they some wanted to follow Paul and celebrate him. Some wanted to follow Apollos. Others wanted to follow Cephas. And and it was uh, an interest in those personalities instead of in Christ. So as we read these verses in just a, a minute, let's uh, consider where uh, not only that unity can come across personalities, but where that unity can come in knowledge as well. We said unity has got to be grounded ultimately in truth. And fascinatingly enough, the Corinthians not only divided over personalities, they divided over sort of their particular understanding of knowledge. Some of them had sort of human wisdom and knowledge that they like to proclaim. And they they kind of gathered around that knowledge as well, instead of uniting in the knowledge of Christ. So as we go through this uh, message today, uh, we need to be reminded that, you know, we're not only sort of drawn away to God's wisdom from those merely worldly voices of wisdom, but we can be drawn away, too, from those things that divide us in the church, where we elevate this or that debatable theological matter and sort of look down our noses at one another about those issues instead of recognizing, hey, we're united in the central reality of what Christ has done for each one of us. So turn with me then and read along. And I think some of that will maybe start to make more sense as we see what the Apostle Paul says about Wisdom Wisdom's kind of a Bible word. It just means understanding, knowledge, uh, maybe worldview would be a way to put it. How we get the world. What is our thought process for getting the world? So let's read, uh, read along you all silently and I'll read aloud. First Corinthians chapter two. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in in weakness and in fear and in trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, what nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, 
interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today that you promised to minister to us through your word. And we thank you for the way your spirit has come into the lives of so many here and allows us to understand the things that you teach us and apply them. We know that we would be in the dark. This book would just have a glaze over it if it weren't for that. So we thank you for the mercy of wisdom that we can have through you grounded in Christ crucified. And we pray in Jesus name. Amen. I don't know how many have seen the early 90s movie City Slickers. It was one of those. It was like a budget of 25 million to produce. Billy Crystal was in it. I think he was really the main actor and Jack Palance as well. But made like one hundred and eighty million dollars or something. Those guys that invested in that movie came out all right. It was popular for a lot of reasons because it kind of connected with uh, with reality. It's a story, if you recall, of three men who are good friends. And uh, Billy Crystal, I think, a character's named Mitch. Mitch is just kind of in a midlife malaise. You know, he's just trying to figure out and he's struggling to figure out what the next step is for himself. His other buddy, I think, had had an affair and marriage had fallen apart and he's dealing with those situations. And the other buddy was just kind of chasing the American dream and, and struggling to find meaning in life with his you know, simple self-fulfilling purpose. And they go out to this dude ranch out west. To try to kind of figure out life. They're going to spend some time out there going through the, the uh, wilderness and so forth of the western United States on a, on a cattle trip. And actually take these cattle and try to get them back. And Jack Palance is, uh, is curly, you remember, if you've seen the movie. And he's this can-do-it guy. And they're all of a sudden out of their, uh, you know, their business world, the three buddies, and the world where they can operate well in. And they're just totally devoid of help. And so they're enamored by Curly and by how he manages to survive out there with the cattle and on the range and so forth. And Crystal's character in particular, Mitch, comes to Curly and is is wanting to know from Curly, how does this happen? Where does this meaning come from? How are you this kind of person? And Curly pauses and he says, there's just one thing that you need to know, just one thing. And then you recall Curly dies (laughs) and Mitch is left without this crucial knowledge that he's seeking this wisdom to understand life movie reminds us of really some of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here when he refers to wisdom right we want to understand what our lives are about what this world is about the purpose that's out there And the Apostle Paul talks about how we can grow in that wisdom that God gives. And then also this strange uh, circumstance in the Corinthian church where uh, some are are drawing from merely human wisdom and understanding. And and there's becoming a division in the church over which way we should go because their focus is on that 
instead of on the wisdom that the scriptures give that comes through the power of the spirit. that's grounded in Christ crucified. There's a lot in this passage, but I think we can understand it this way. And if you want to follow along, there is a section for notes in the back of your worship guide. This this main idea, I think, is what what comes to light from the passage for us today, that since true wisdom is received through the Holy Spirit, we should focus on Christ crucified as we humbly mature in God. You know, the pride in human knowledge can kind of manifest itself in a lot of ways. We might not call it pride, but our intrigue in human knowledge, merely human knowledge, whether it's uh, the latest fad of, of belief that comes on on the daily talk shows to sort out life in some way, the, the latest popular book that will tell us how to manage our lives and uh, maybe as business people here, how to get more pro- productivity out or maybe to search out your physical and spiritual balance in your life or whatever the latest book is. There's not only those sort of worldly solutions to life, but there's structured other alternative religious solutions, right? Uh, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism that offer some kind of wisdom. Say so this is how you can understand Life, maybe closer to home, Mormonism and uh, Jehovah's Witness that say we've got some understanding, some insight that we want to share with you. In the church, it can look maybe uh, some different ways inside the walls of the church. We uh, talk regularly about the sort of questionable doctrines of the health and wealth message that is preached often in many churches on TV that somehow we should the real attaining of knowledge and growth spiritually is going to bring us perfect health, perfect material well-being and somehow avoids the fact that the one we follow died on a cross, suffered. That was his pathway for us, or maybe it's the uh, message on Discovery Channel, this sort of higher wisdom that we can have about the spiritual life and, and believe in the Christ of faith and ignore the Jesus of history. We don't have to be tethered, they might say, to this Bible message. Don't be stuck to this. Just believe in the idea of Christ. It's the essential knowledge about Christ. You don't have to be stuck reading the scriptures and believing those things. And all of these things bring questions to our mind today. Where, where are we Getting wisdom. Or maybe even a question before that is, do, do, are we wanting wisdom? Do we even recognize hey, that's something we ought to be pursuing as people, as believers in Christ? Paul's kind of assuming that. How do we discern that way in life? And then maybe where are we prone to quarrel with one another because we've kind of got caught up in man-made wisdom and have drifted a little bit from being centered on the wisdom of God? Where is that happening for us? Well, the Apostle Paul breaks it down. And, you know, these words are written uh, thousands of years ago, but have great application to our lives today. I think you'll see four things he talks about. One is the uh, the nature of wisdom. The second thing is the wisdom and its relationship to maturity. Third thing, wisdom and the Holy Spirit. How are those things tied? And then lastly, what's our role in wisdom and producing wisdom? We'll spend a little more time on the first point and then touch quickly on the other three. If you look with me at verses one through five, you see this issue of the nature of wisdom coming to the surface. The first thing that probably we stumble over, we get to the verse first verse. It says, I came to you. I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. What do we do with Jonathan Edwards? What do we do with Charles Spurgeon? What do we do with Piper? What do we do with Keller? These folks that speak and speak uh, well and eloquently in our own time or in past times that speak in uh, in language that's kind of elevated. Does that mean that's out 
the door. Well, some in the church had believed that, you know, back uh, after the first great awakening in the 1700s, it was a time when that was a time when people were revived in the gospel. You know, the pilgrims, the founding fathers had come in the 1600s and they had drift their predecessors had drifted from the gospel. And then God revived the people in his church and in America and, and in parts of Europe as well at that time. And, and that happened and, and then faded out again. The time of the American Revolution, many of the founding fathers, some were Christians, others were uh, deists. They really just believe in some idea of God, maybe some idea of the commandments, but not the atoning gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in the early 1800s, there was a huge need for revival again. Folks had drifted from it. And, and many folks attributed the problem as the frontier spread and people were moving out of the frontier to these, uh, these established uh, churches in the east and the dead teaching that was there. And the, uh, the, the, even the training of the pastors, you know, the seminary was the cemetery. Those kind of things were dangerous and damaging that that they made you this this enamored you with lofty speech, but without any real core knowledge. Now, you know, we know that the gospel spread rapidly, but it was also in danger of being a thousand miles wide, literally, and an inch deep. And so very quickly, those folks recognize, hey, we need teaching. We need training. We need wisdom. So what is Paul talking about here if he's, uh, you know, not saying that knowledge and understanding are bad? Verse two, it says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Again, we know the Apostle Paul in his other letters, he, he talks about other things besides Jesus Christ and him crucified. What he's trying to do is take these Corinthian folks and get them back focused on the core thing. Right. For the Christian, that one thing. What's that central thing to know Christ and him crucified? He says any knowledge that you have, any understanding that's not grounded in that isn't knowledge at all. It's empty. It's just lofty speech. Look on down with me at verse three. It's interesting. Even who Paul is, is meant to exhibit this and how he comes to them. He says in verse three, I was with you in weakness, fear and trembling. Right. Hard enough, maybe for a a man. And, of course, Paul endured a lot of stuff. He was a tough fella. Hard enough for men to kind of admit that we're fearful. He goes as far as to say, I was trembling. So Paul knew his own weakness. And he was using himself as an example to say these other folks that are speaking to you, they speak with great confidence. They seem to have no problems. I came to you as one who was broken, who was in need of God to work through me. So exhibit A, I was in need of that. And it's a reminder for us, certainly today, that uh, whether we've got a pastor who struggles with depression or we've got a small group leader who wrestles with regular bouts of anxiety or a life group leader whose children are really going through some difficult times or a church children's uh, teacher who's battling chronic sickness. uh, We've got this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power is from God and not from us. Right. Heaven forbid that we would kind of elevate ourselves in this church and forget that we're dependent completely upon Christ, whatever role that we have. That's what the Apostle Paul says in verse four. If you look at that passage with me, he says, in my speech and my message, were not with plausible words of wisdom. It's not that he rambled on and made no sense. He's saying it wasn't grounded in this worldly wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit's power that your faith might rest not on God's wisdom, but on the power of God. Haven't we seen that? Working in our own church body, in our own midst. Haven't we seen uh, folks who uh, felt empty and purposeless beginning to see who Jesus is and celebrate him and value him in their lives and having the identity in him? 
Haven't we seen folks in our midst and right here at Cross Creek Church whose lives were invested in materialism and greed as sort of their way to knowledge and understanding, seeing the joy and the beauty and the power of generosity to, to God's kingdom and to others in need? Haven't we seen folks, uh, even in our own midst, that we're stuck in, in bitterness and, and wrestling with that and seeing how God can free us through forgiveness of maybe those past wrongs? Haven't we seen folks in our own circles plagued with, with worry and struggling to kind of get through each day and recognizing, wow, God's numbered the hairs on my head. He cares about me so very, very deeply. And so I am struggling, but I can have strength to go on today. Haven't we seen folks in our own midst wrestling with uh, eating disorders and body image issues and recognizing God loves me, made me as I am, and I'm beautiful in his sight? Haven't we seen folks uh, running to the wisdom, the, the worldliness of workaholism, thinking somehow I can be something by my productivity and instead realizing God would have us balance Lay down that phone, spend time with him, spend time with our family and friends. Haven't we seen folks wrestling with sexual addiction, coming and connecting with groups in our community, sharing and opening up and beginning to see a new pathway in their life for those issues? All of these things are ways that we're seeing in our midst the power of God, a demonstration of the spirit's power, right? We don't change without that. None of us does. Whatever your struggle is, whichever one of those things I I touched on that related to you or maybe like me, two or three of them. Those are areas where we've seen God's power. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you saw it happen. This has happened in our midst. It's happened in my life. I came to you in fear and trembling. I wasn't this superstar. God's power is coming through the spirit. Second thing we see is wisdom for maturity. The question we might ask there is, okay, I get that there's this spiritual wisdom and so forth, and it's, uh, you know, it's okay to understand that. But but how does that work? If I'm only supposed to know Christ and him crucified, how do I mature in my faith? Isn't there some understanding I'm supposed to get an understanding of God's word to take me forward? Well, take a look in your sermon notes section, even if you're not uh, necessarily using that right now, because the Apostle Paul uh, is talking really here about two different kinds of wisdom. I know we're getting into the nitty gritty, so hang, hang with me here. This will be helpful for us. He talks about really two kinds of wisdom, a bad wisdom and a good wisdom. And he uses the words interchangeably here. If you miss it, it's, it's pretty confusing stuff. The, the bad wisdom I've already mentioned, he talks about in chapter 1, verse 17 and verse 19, is, is just merely human arguments or a framework of thought that's generated just from our human understanding, right? Us sort of wandering through the dark, trying to find our, our way, right? You can find your way in the middle of the night, on a dark night, you know, to, to the next room or whatever, with the lights out, the power goes out. You can find your way there, but it's you bumping into things, stubbing your toe, Messing up and so forth along the way. Uh, the, the scriptures are reminding us here, really, the only way to find our way to the Lord is to have a light come on. The light of God's spirit in Christ. So that's what good wisdom is. Good wisdom is this message that comes from before all time. This is what Paul's talking about in verse six. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not the wisdom of this age. So he's contrasting those two. There's a wisdom of God and there's a wisdom of this age. It's a secret in his hidden wisdom, he says in verse seven. And that wisdom was decreed before by God before the ages for our glory. He said none of the rulers of the world would have understood it. We can't get at it in ourselves. 
It has to be revealed to us, verse 10, by the Spirit. One of the commentators I read put it this way. Maybe this will help summarize. He says, the wisdom of the world, both Jewish and Greek, seemed to arise clearly out of man's rebellion against God, his refusal to bow the knee, his determination to make God fit into his own ideas and desires. Right. We see that today. Folks want God to tell them what they want to hear. We often want to do that, too. But God says what God says. He says, because God is determined to root out all human pride, any wisdom is to be rejected, which is not based on Christ crucified. And then Pryor reminds us that we're invited to to dive in, nevertheless, into knowledge in God. And and here's the deal. Maybe this is the way to think about it. Uh, Think about our spiritual life as a human body. And we've got all these different organs in here. And those organs are made up of different cells. Right. We know that. And there's this DNA that's woven through all of them that connects each one of them. The Apostle Paul is saying that for our spiritual life individually and corporately, it's like that DNA. And Christ crucified is that central thing that's at the middle of every cell, every part of who we are, every part of what we believe and know is this reality that Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us. The question for us today, then, is as we are seeking to grow in wisdom, number one, are we seeking that? So are we putting ourselves in the way of God's grace through coming regularly to worship or plugging into Sunday school or picking up God's word on our own? As we do that, are we asking God to give us wisdom, wisdom that comes from him and that's grounded in Christ crucified? Are we going down some other path or find ourselves down some other path and it doesn't ultimately root back and connect up with Christ crucified? It's merely human wisdom. The Apostle Paul tells us. Look with me at verses 10 through 13, and we'll kind of come to a, a close here in the next couple of minutes. Verses 10 through 13. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Who knows a person's thoughts except that person which is in him? So no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Here's the deal. Maybe we live closely with somebody in our life. Maybe we're married. Maybe we got some close friends, close peers or whatever. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but like even the people you know really well. You don't really know what's going on inside, right? We can try to communicate with one another and talk to one another, but all of us have things that are going on in our hearts and our thoughts that are really deep in there. And maybe we bring them up by sharing, but 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 only the person really knows the person. And the Apostle Paul is saying kind of the same thing with God. So if we're chasing after wisdom that's merely human without the spirit of God, then we're not getting to it. We've got to have the spirit of God. Maybe here's a way to think about it. You know, we've all probably got uh, got one of these with us right today. And uh, this is a knowledge device, sort of a wisdom device. You've got your contacts in there. Maybe you've got your calendar. You've got emails and so forth. But they're not actually in here, are they? A bunch of that stuff is somewhere off called the cloud. I don't really know exactly what that means. But in the cloud really isn't really where it sits because the cloud connects it up to other things, wherever all the information is. OK, so if if you've got this device, that's great. You know, I've got a human soul. I've got this device, you might say, that God's given me. But if this is not tethered, if you detach it from that cloud, from the spirit, spiritually speaking, then 
I'm not attached to anything. I don't have that knowledge really coming in in the way that it should. And your phone will get all garbled and your information will be lost or confused or whatever. You won't have any in here whatsoever. That's kind of, I think, what the Apostle Paul is saying in a real, real crass way to summarize it. The idea of the spirit saying we've got to be connected to the spirit in order to be connected to knowledge from God. It's a reminder what a blessing it is to us as believers to have the spirit of God. The spirit is mentioned. I don't know if you noticed when we read it in almost every verse of this chapter. It might be the chapter of the Bible that mentions the spirit the most. It also talks about Christ three different times. Reference verse two, verse eight, verse 16 talks about God, the father in verses one, five, seven, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. It's, it's a Trinitarian work. And it's this idea that Christ is crucified. He's laid down his life for us. The spirit takes that and attaches it to us, tethers it to our our device, if you will, our our iPhone of our soul. And then connects us into God, the father that we can experience and know and understand him. A question for us today, then, is this uh, what what do we see as the role of the spirit in our life? Do we recognize the essential work of the spirit? To connect us to God and that trying to understand life or even trying to understand good spiritual stuff without the spirit is just going to lead us lead us astray. Last thing we see is the connection between wisdom and our ability. And it ties into what I just said. Verse 14 says it pretty straightforward. It says the natural person, I mean, someone without uh, that has not been born again by the spirit of God, just us the way we are default setting born into the world. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God because they're folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And then he goes on and he concludes and he says, but through Christ, through the spirit, we actually have the mind of Christ. Isn't that a powerful thing? Have you noticed that in your own life? Maybe. I don't know. Some of us here have been believers just for a very short period of time. Uh, Others of us came to faith in Christ a long time ago. Probably a lot of us, if even if we walked with the Lord for a while, have drifted, right, have wandered down some paths that we're not proud of or begun to think and, and embrace ways of believing about ourselves or the world or whatever that aren't really quite accurate. And, and at some point we sort of wake up and we realize that maybe we go to a small group or maybe we go and hear a sermon or maybe we open the scriptures and read it. And all of a sudden that passage comes to life. Right. We say, wow, that is that's true of me. I was kind of wandering in a misguided direction. And we we realize in that moment, don't we, that it's just futile for us to try to get all this stuff in ourselves. The only way we can is through God's word and understanding the scriptures and God's spirit in our lives. Last thing I want to say is this. So thinking about this idea that we have this DNA of Christ crucified. That's uniting us together as a church body, working in us individually and each one of us. Okay, so that's supposed to unite us. That's the central thing that we would know and all knowledge would flow from it. That we're connected together with one another because we're all tethered to the the cloud, right? The spirit. And that's the only way we get knowledge. So we're connected that way. And that ultimately we're all completely dependent upon the spirit to give us knowledge. The question that really Paul is trying to address here is. How would we ever become sort of arrogant and prideful or elitist with one another or with others outside of our church circles? 
The fact is, you know, the, the affiliation that many of us are part of here in this church, we, we are a knowledgeable bunch. We kind of like the academic and cognitive side of things. And, and that's good when it takes us by the spirit deeper into God's word. But boy, it can be a killer when we become sort of arrogant and prideful about the stuff we know with others, maybe outside of our church circles who who also know Christ crucified. They recognize him. And so we should approach those relationships with love. In our church body, we ought to as well. Uh, last thing I'll say, Francis Schaeffer, he was kind of, uh, I guess this is a good comparison. He was kind of a Tim Keller, if we know Tim Keller. He was kind of Tim Keller of previous generation. And Francis Schaeffer had, uh, you know, taught seminary, very knowledgeable person, had been a pastor for a while, able to interact with people from uh, outside of church backgrounds, from completely pagan uh, perspectives or atheistic perspectives or whatever, and able to explain spiritual truth in, in some pretty powerful ways. Very knowledgeable guy. It's fascinating what he said about how we should kind of the posture we should adopt with one another, both in the church and outside the church. He said, if I have the opportunity to sit down with somebody who disagrees with me about something. He said, I will spend of that hour 55 minutes listening and five sharing. This is a guy that's super knowledgeable, influenced a lot of people's lives, had a lot to say, wrote a lot of books that people read. And his posture was still because he knew the humility that's in Christ. He knew his dependence upon the spirit. He said, you know, when I sit and I'm disagreeing with somebody, especially about theological matters and whatnot, I'm going to I'm going to listen for 55 minutes and then I'll speak. That was his way of kind of teaching himself to do that. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing in our church body as we continue to grow and reach the community? One of the things that's going to happen is the evil one's going to come in and he's going to try to stir up things. I don't know what it'll be. We can't probably anticipate it. But for some reason, some scruples that we're going to disagree over or whatnot. Well, wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if we sat down and we listened? to another person about why they think this or that way. And then, and then, yeah, share, but share humbly, share briefly what we believe as well. This is the power of wisdom by the spirit working in our lives and working in our church. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful. These verses are tricky ones for us to get at. Uh, challenging to walk through and understand. They talk about some things that are a little little deep for us, and yet uh, so very applicable. Uh, Lord, we want to give you praise and thanks today for the fact that uh, your power is what we are seeing at work in our lives, individually, in our church, collectively. So we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the way that uh, wisdom from you leads us into maturity that this message and plan of salvation from before all the centuries that's uh, centered on Christ and him crucified, this one who pays the price for our sins, who is our righteousness, that, uh, Lord, that that builds and develops in us a true uh, maturity. And we ask, Lord, that you give us a hunger and a desire for that maturity. And then, Lord, as we pursue that maturity and see that it's by the spirit that we'd be humble about it. So often when we're getting wisdom or maturity, we're elitist about it. We're prideful about it. Instead, Lord, the gospel allows us to grow in wisdom and humility. And we pray that that would be a mark of our church body with one another and with those around us. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.